Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. From the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 60 to 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let us pray. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, this again is the time where we hear your word. And it is a sobering word that speaks to us a truth that is hard to hear, but also contains a truth of great comfort. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us ears to hear the words of eternal life, which are the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, today. That we would hear in the preached word your Holy Spirit working and respond with the faith that you desire in us. Help me, Father, to preach, to preach purely and simply and for the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, if you're paying attention, our passage has rolled back the chronological clock of, of Peter, a little bit since last week, which was, of course, Easter. We, uh, we took our time to look at the resurrection, the peace that Jesus proclaimed to the disciples, including Peter. But now, with the resurrection, we are going to be taking a, a series of weeks before Pentecost to look at some of the additional passages with Peter in the Gospels to see how Peter is being formed as a disciple who then, at Pentecost, will become the leader of the uh, brand new church. And so today we end up going back to John chapter 6, where we read a passage 
of great significance for the formation of discipleship. The title of our sermon today is Cleaved. Cleaved. I put that word in there because there is an interesting kind of tell. What do you think of when you hear the word cleaved? It's a unique word in the English language. It's one of only a a few words that is what we call a contronym, which is to say that the word cleaved is means one thing, and at the same time, it's opposite, depending on context. So, for example, you hear the words to leave and cleave. Cleave there means to hold fast, to wrap your arms around, to be fixed upon someone. But then, in another context, you can say that something is cleaved by being split in two. In fact, that's why we call a a big knife a cleaver. And so, we have two meanings, and it all depends on context. It all depends on situation. What do we mean by cleaved? And both of those meanings show up in our passage. We have some some, uh, uh, individuals in our passage who are cleaved in that they cut themselves away from following Christ. They separate themselves from continuing with him. But we also have others in the passage who are cleaved in the sense that they come to a place where they hold more dearly and more closely to Jesus. Now the disturbing thing for us is that both groups go by the name of disciple. The disciples who cut themselves away and separate themselves from Jesus in this passage, John calls disciples. We recognize by this that in this in 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 the telling of John's story, the word disciple has various meanings. There are some disciples that are temporary. There are some who went by the name disciple who are false. We should all shudder at verse 71. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. One of the twelve. And yet some disciples prove to be genuine. So there is a, 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 a different set of outcomes for these people called disciples. This is such a relevant issue for us today because it is becoming more and more popular to see evangelicals coming out with what they call their deconversion story. There's a, a movement of people called ex-evangelicals. And what describes them is this this, uh, development in their thinking. It's always an evolution in their thinking where they are no longer able to affirm the faith that they were raised in because they find too many difficulties, too many hard teachings to continue to follow. And so they famously share the antithesis of a testimony by telling the world 
of their deconversion. They're, they're separating, they're cleaving themselves away from Christ. What makes the difference? What makes the difference between the, the one who cleaves by separating and the one who cleaves by holding fast? How can we know that we will not be eventually of those ranked in the deconverters? How do we know that our faith will persevere? This is the question that is laid in front of us in this text. And in this text, we are going to see the answer by seeing the characteristic of a true disciple to recognize the disciple that does, in fact, hold fast to Christ. What is the, the essential nature of the true disciple, the one that holds fast to Christ? It is this, a true disciple shows a growing faith. A growing faith is part of a true disciple, the one who cleaves himself to Christ. And so it is a text of self-examination, but it is also a text of assurance. Because in this text, you are invited and urged to go through it with me, to see, are you in fact a true disciple? Are you showing a growing faith? Our text is going to lay in front of us three areas of growth. And so I ask that you would submit yourself to examine as we go through each of these areas of growth, are they true of me? Because as we say, yes, we come away with great assurance. But if not, then this text presents to us a most urgent question. Why are you not growing? And how long can you continue to persist in a state of non-growth? Let us look at this text to see a true disciple showing a growing faith. And we will see as we go through this three areas of growth. First, we will see that a, a, a growing faith shows a growing submission to the Word. A growing submission to the Word. And we look at verses 60 to 62 closely. So this text comes after Jesus' teaching to a large group of people, including many uh, Jewish people who were not yet followers of Jesus, they gave a, a, a substantial teaching after he had fed the 5,000. That's what happens at the beginning of John chapter 6. And having fed the 5,000, this group of Jewish people want to follow Jesus because they, they want to make him a king, a king of a political sort. And so they chase Jesus down, and Jesus begins to teach them of who he truly is. And he explains to these people that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. That he is the one who has come down from heaven, that those who receive him receive eternal life. And the conversation that he has with all of these people 
becomes more and more pointed and more and more difficult for the hearers to accept as he explains that, that he is the one that they must receive and, and also that receiving him is something that uh, God must do in them. And so at the end of this uh, passage, he comes to, des- to describe a, 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 a state of what he means by, by truly having his life as those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. And it's after saying that that his disciples in verses 60 to 62 respond with, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now when they say a hard saying, that can mean one of two things. It can mean that it it is hard to understand, to to make sense of, or it, it can mean that it is hard to accept. It is hard to receive. It's, it's harsh to their ears. Now, not dismissing that what Jesus says is a complicated teaching. I think it is clear from the text that the hardness of the hard saying is reflective of that second. It is hard for them to accept because they say this is a hard saying Who can listen to it? That is to say, who can hear it? And they respond with grumbling. They respond with a a negative reaction to it. They're opposed to it. As Jesus says, they are taking offense at it. And so this is a hard saying because it is offensive. And just to make sure we know, verse 53 of chapter 6 is is kind of a a, a description of what has tipped them off. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Certainly strange, jarring, graphic words. Words that they were unwilling to accept, that they called hard. What is Jesus fundamentally saying in this this passage? He He is describing the depth of need that his disciples must be aware of when they come to Jesus. He is saying basically that for us to live We need Jesus' life. Like we need food. Food is our source of life. If we do not have him as a source of food, we are dead. And so Jesus is saying in this graphic language, Jesus must be our life. And you can't take that teaching and hold it at a casual distance. Jesus is saying, if you want my life, you have to really take it. You have to chew on it. You have to swallow it. You have to consume it. You have to be absolutely dependent upon it. I appreciate R.C. Sproul's uh, comments on what, what this 
description is meant to convey. R.C. Sproul says, Jesus was calling for a deep commitment. He told his disciples, you have to come into me. You have to be united to me. You have to feast upon me, not just have a casual relationship to me. He was calling his followers to a wholehearted pursuit of union with him, a union without which there is no spiritual life. You see, Jesus is saying these words, and these words are having a cleaving effect upon his followers. Some are hearing these words and hearing the graphic nature of them and saying, I cannot go with that. And they are beginning to grumble. They are offended. Jesus responds in verse 62 to their grumbling. Let us look at 62 again. Jesus says, do you take offense at this? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And Jesus answers them and talks about his ascent. And it's it's a a bit of a question to the uh, various commentators. Is is Jesus' statement here a statement that is basically saying, your offense will pass once you see me ascend? Or is he saying, Your offense will get so much worse because you are going to see me ascend. I think that it is actually that second sense that that is the most compelling in context. And the reason is that when Jesus speaks of his ascent in John, he is talking about his way of going back to the Father. And the first part of his going back to the Father is his being lifted up on the cross. Jesus in John chapter 3 verse 14 explains to Nicodemus that the beginning of his exaltation is actually his being lifted up on the cross. And so in John's presentation of Jesus' ascent, it begins with the great scandal of the cross of the Messiah being crucified and dying. And that is a far greater offense than the words Jesus spoke. You just have to go to the the chapters of the crucifixion to see what anger and vitriol there was upon Jesus when they saw the one who is uh, claiming to be the Son of God humiliated on a cross. They could not make sense of that image. And so Jesus is saying, if you are offended at my teaching here, you will be offended yet more if you stay with me. And notice something about Jesus here. He doesn't remove the offense. He doesn't walk it back. He says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm I'm sorry that, that, that that got a little out of hand. I'm sorry that that turned your stomach a bit. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus leaves the offense. He identifies the offense. And he does not roll it back. He expects his disciples to receive it. To receive this hard saying. Why? 
Because he has given it to them. We see here that a growing faith is one that must have a growing submission to the word. These disciples had walked along with Jesus. They had heard several different forms of teaching, several different sayings of Jesus. But Jesus continues to teach more and to get more pointed and to get more uh, clear about his mission. And as those, those uh, messages continue to fall, these disciples are coming to a place where they say, I cannot submit to that. I cannot follow that. And so the, the, the following of Jesus is one that calls for an ever-increasing submission to his word. When we fail to submit to his word, we become grumblers who draw lines in the sand of hard sayings. Now, this particular text may not be a hard saying to you, but there are many teachings in Scripture that are hard because they are said to sinful hearts that often want what the Scriptures say is wrong. Every single one of us is facing in the Scriptures hard sayings that demand our repentance, that demand our submission to the Word. What do we do with those hard words? Some of us avoid them. We stick to the parts and passages of the Bible that are our favorites. Some of us deny that they exist. Some of us seek to water down the word, making it not offensive to our personal preferences. Those are common. But Jesus lays in front of us the only path that continues to stay with Jesus. And that is the one who grows in submission to the word. If we want to continue on the path with Jesus, we must learn to bring ourselves to submission to all that Jesus teaches us in his word. I don't say that to, to make it simple, to, to act like it's, it's an easy thing. Wrestling is part of it. But if we want to be with Jesus, we must wrestle ourselves until we get ourselves to submission. Again, as R.C. Sproul says, if I'm reading something in the Word of God that I disagree with, it is very evident that the person that is wrong is me. We must have that perspective and seek to submit ourselves to the word. This is the path of growth. As, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see here, 
that the worldly disciple is going to have to, is conformed to the world. And we must resist that by the imperative of being transformed by the renewal of our mind. And that involves the hard work of understanding and submitting to the point that we come to know the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first area of growth, growing submission to the word, is, is essential to, to establish us as a true disciple. Second, the second area of growth is a growing recognition of God's grace. So what is Jesus' response to these disciples who are offended? Look carefully at verse 64. 64 says, There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. See, their grumbling is more than just disagreement or confusion. Their grumbling is actually evidence that they are not believers. The disciples that we are talking about that are, that are under a state of offense and, and are grumbling are different kinds of disciples than those who persevere. What sort of disciples is Jesus saying? They're called disciples, but also they're called people who do not believe. What does that make them? That makes them basically this. They are self-willed disciples. Now, what do I mean by self-willed? I mean, they are following Jesus, but they are following Jesus on their terms. They are following Jesus because he fed them bread. Jesus is useful. Jesus is helpful. They are following Jesus as consumers. He is there to provide for them, to fulfill them to satisfy them. They are pursuing Jesus to be one. They come to Jesus believing that Jesus should be so happy, I am with you. They come to Jesus to be one. They are the catch. Their relationship is clearly shallow because it cannot endure the true teachings that Jesus has for them. If I were to give them a, a popular song as their, as their mantra, they would probably be the Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. Maybe Kevin could have us sing that someday. Jesus is just all right with me. You see, there are many people who have a Jesus that they confess, but the Jesus that they confess is a Jesus that is a product of their self-will. It is a Jesus who has no corners to them, to him. It is a Jesus that we can sing about as just 
all right with me. But Jesus gives his verdict on this sort of disciple, on the self-willed disciple in verse 63. Look carefully at your Bible, verse 63. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is the organ of the self-will. It is, it is the, 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 the person, the flesh, being the, the, the individual's uh, mind and desires and pursuits. The flesh is no help at all. The self-willed disciple is told here has no life. That person is not saved. If, if to, to make it more clear, we see that after, after this exchange, in verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. These are the first people with a D conversion story. They went home and they told the place where they could not make sense, they could not accept of Jesus' teaching anymore. And they have become wiser and they no longer go that way. They are the original deconversion stories. But here is the, the brutal testimony of the scriptures. Deconversion stories are actually non-conversion stories. They deconverted because they never were converted. This is what John says in his letter in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See, our understanding of of salvation is that those who truly are saved by Jesus Christ, who have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, have a relationship that is eternal, that cannot end, that cannot be cleaved. And so when one says, I am separating, I am no longer following, they are revealing that whatever they were, they were not truly a follower. They were not truly converted. That is clear when we go back to verse 63, which tells us it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You see, a true disciple has a faith that is Spirit-given. Look at verse 65. Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. The word granted is given. It's the word give. Jesus is saying that the true disciple is not the disciple who follows him according to their self-will. It is a disciple who follows him because they have been born again. They have a spirit-given faith. A spirit-given faith is, is not a, a faith that, that um, uh, it, it, it is a faith that is alive. That is by, by nature what it is. It is a faith that is alive, i.e. it is a faith that must 
be growing. Jesus is not just all right with the Spirit-given faith. Jesus is the one who amazes you. The one who you draw closer to. And so here's a fundamental question of discernment as we seek to ask, is, is your faith a growing recognition of God's grace? Beloved, are you amazed that you were saved? Does it surprise you that God saves anyone, let alone you? If we accept the verdict of Scripture that we are all sinners, that we are all under judgment, the the amazing thing is that anyone is saved, that we have the verse, God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, is a verse of shocking import. There was no obligation of God to save us. He saved us out of grace alone. And so the moment that we are not amazed that we are saved is the first tell that we do not recognize the fullness of God's grace. We are not saved because heaven would be empty without us. We are saved because God sent his spirit into our hearts to make us alive who were dead and deserving of judgment. Is your faith from fear or love. You see, the Spirit-given faith is a faith that loves the one who has called it. It is not a faith that is there because it's afraid of what might happen. It is there because it loves. The Spirit-given faith is discerned by this question. Do you give thanks for your faith? Or is your faith something that you claim as, your, as, 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 as a product of yourself alone? Do you give God thanks for your faith? As, as John tells us, as Jesus tells us in verse 65, that it has been granted, it has been a gift to us. The third area of growth is, is this, a growing devotion to Jesus. So after Jesus has this exchange, these disciples who are simply in the flesh, who are self-willed, they come to their limit and they leave. And it must have been a dramatic separation, a, a dramatic cutting away because Jesus is now left with what appears to be only the 12 disciples. And Jesus asks, as you can imagine, all of these people stepping away and moving away from Jesus, leaving the small band of 12, he asks them if they also want to leave. And that is where our character Peter, our disciple Peter shows up to say these words in verses 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where can we go? 
This is who Jesus must be to us. He must be our exclusive Lord and Savior. Peter says, who else could I go to? You're the only one. If, if, if not for you, I, I am nothing. There is nowhere else for me to go if you are not the one that I can be with. Some think that this, these words are the same words that uh, G, uh, Peter gave to, to Jesus in uh, Matthew 16 in, in Caesarea Philippi that we looked at a couple weeks ago. But I think it's clear that it's not the same. It is a different location. The words are different. What we see in Peter here is a growing devotion. He is reaffirming his faith. He is saying them again. He is saying them more deeply. He is confessing that your words are the words of eternal life. A growing devotion to Jesus is shown right there. It is a recognition that the words that Jesus speaks, even the hard ones, are words that we see are life for us. So a growing devotion to Jesus equals a greater love for his words. We want to know them and understand them. Beloved, when he speaks, what words do you hear? Do you hear the words of eternal life? This growth in devotion is a grace that the Lord furnishes. He asks the question. He asks the question because the affirming of our faith is for our sakes. Yes, Peter has said uh, his confession in Matthew 16, but Jesus in a separate account in another instance has asked, uh, G, uh, has asked Peter to say the words of faith. Jesus is, is, is showing and doing here something very important. He wants his disciples to articulate their faith repeatedly, to renew them, to say them again and again. Why? Because renewing our confession is part of a growing faith. It is like the words, I love you, in marriage. You can't just say, I said that on our wedding day. Why do you need to hear them again? Because the words, I love you, are a way of rebonding, of recommitting, of rediscovering, and even growing in the love that we had before. Every time that we say, I love you, there is more to love. And so every time we say, you are the Christ, there is more that we are to mean by that. It is a growing confession because it is a growing relationship. Jesus gives us the grace of calling us to confess him repeatedly because in each confession, we draw a deeper awareness and a greater love for the one that we confess. Beloved, 
for us to answer him is to renew ourselves to our devotion. And so we see in this passage, we see disciples who prove themselves false and who are cleaved and cut away because they could not handle hard teaching. Because they were not following him with a spirit-filled faith. And because their devotion to Jesus had a limit. But we also see the disciples here, Peter principally, showing himself as a true disciple because he possesses a growing faith, a growing submission to the word, a growing recognition of God's grace, and a growing devotion to Jesus. Which one describes you? Such joy and assurance of our salvation belongs to a growing faith. What joy and assurance am I talking about? I am talking about these words that Peter spoke to his people, his, his young disciples who were following up uh, to know Jesus. In, the first, uh, in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Beloved, that is what the disciple has through a growing faith. A love and a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Is that true of you? Have you come to the end of this sermon and recognized you are a true disciple? If you have not, then let us look in the book of Luke for the words to guide you towards being a true disciple. We are told in Luke these words, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Beloved, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The door of true discipleship, the door of a growing faith is open. Ask, seek, and knock. And come into joy inexpressible. Amen. Now, beloved, let us join together in praying our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. 
We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.